Our reading today continues on in the Gospel of Mark with a very strange little story. From there he, Jesus, set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. The lectionary adds another story to the bottom of this story as part of this week's lectionary, but I've left that off and going to tack it on to next week because I think it fits better there. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. There ain't no way around this story. It, to use the technical term, it sucks. This is a horrible story. It's sexist and racist. We wouldn't have used that language in Jesus' time, but that's the way we see it today. Some have tried to ameliorate this story, some uh, readers and theologians, and said, well, Jesus was making a joke. How does that make it better? The woman's daughter is at the point of despair. If you're infected by a demon in Jesus' time and place, that is at least one way we might describe it as a deep, confounding mental disorder that separates people out from community. Nobody better make jokes about stuff like that. Well, another way of describing this, well, it was a test by Jesus. How does that make it better? Do you test somebody at the point of their despair? doesn't make it any better. There's people who've said, well, it may have been a Jewish saying at the time and that Jesus was repeating it like a little proverb. And the Jews and the Gentiles were very separate. The Jews believed all Gentiles to be, well, basically as good as dogs. Still doesn't make it any better. If we downplay this, we do what the patriarchy, what men, fathers sometimes, have always tried to do, which is to sort of push aside the needs and concerns of women. It's not as bad as you think it is. It's not really that bad. The Me Too movement, if it hasn't woken us up yet, will continue to do so. There's a series of reports being coming out at the moment about the misogyny of men and the, con- the power and control of men in the Australian music industry. 
And my son is a part of the Australian music industry and is aware of some of those stories as they're coming out about men that he didn't know anything about and that's already having implications, just as it's done in the high-profile movie industry in America and, and so on. I can still remember years and years ago talking to a, a young woman friend of mine, we were both young, and she was telling me about how her mother had taught her when she was to walk out in the street uh, alone, particularly at night, she should hold her car keys in a particular way that had the keys sticking out between her fingers. That if, God forbid, something terrible happened, she would have at least some way of warding off an attacker. And when she told me that, and then some of my friends looked at me when I said, this, do you know about this? Some of my women friends, they looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, of course, we all know this. This is what we tell each other. This is what our mothers told us. And I thought, well, what world have I been living in? That I, I, didn't, I didn't know this. And I checked with my, the mother of my daughter. And she looked at me like I was an idiot, which she frequently did for very good reasons, but nothing to do with this. She said, of course. We've got to be really careful. We, and I mean me, men, white, middle-class men, how we deal with this story. The problem is that we see Jesus often as Superman. It's kind of like pretending to be a human being, but underneath he can do everything and anything. Which leaves us saying, well, why didn't you heal everybody? Why didn't you raise all the dead, not just Lazarus? What is going on here? The gospel doesn't say that. In fact, the gospel says in the gospel of Luke, it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Obviously, he grew in stature because everyone does, but he grew in wisdom. Like he learned, he grew. And here we've got a story of Jesus learning from a very disturbing, unlikely place. A non-Jew, what can foreigners teach us? We're God's chosen people, please. A woman, look, we couldn't even allow women to testify in court because what they've got to say can never be trusted. And a shameful woman, here's a woman who doesn't even care about the normal way of doing things. She comes to Jesus alone, totally unheard of. She bows before him like a man would to a rabbi, totally incomprehensible and wrong. Jesus learns in the most unlikely places. It's very disturbing. But it shouldn't be because the entire scripture is full of the weirdest people being chosen by God for the weirdest reasons. We've got the great patriarch of Israel, Moses, a runaway, a failure, chosen by God. We've got Paul, the apostle, the great apostle of Christianity, chosen by God as a persecutor. Someone so wrapped up in his own way of seeing the world that he is willing to have other people killed in order to maintain his worldview. Mary, a young unmarried girl, chosen in the story to be the mother of, as Christians call it, the saviour of the world. If we're not paying attention, all of these things come as a surprise. 
but they're not. They're all through the Bible. Peter, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, says in, has, has a story in Acts 10 where Peter has this vision. Out of heaven comes this bag, this sheet full of all the food he's not allowed to eat. And he says, well, of course, I won't eat it because I'm a good religious person. And the voice in the dream says, what God has made clean, you should make, you should not call unclean. And then straight after that, he has a visit from a Gentile who has had an experience of God. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How could that be? But Peter remembers the dream. And he says to Cornelius and his people and the family of Cornelius, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Last week, Jesus declared all food to be clean in the reading that we had in the lectionary. Now he's learning that all people are clean. A Gentile, a woman, a despised woman. And in the story that adds on to this, that we'll hear a little bit next week, he keeps going in Gentile territory because Tyre is in Gentile territory. It's north of Galilee, northwest of Galilee, 30 or 50, 30 to 50 miles, somewhere around that. He doesn't say it goes into Tyre, it's just in the region. He keeps going into Sidon and he heals somebody else. And then he goes on to repeat the feeding of the 5,000 in an exact copy, feeding 4,000 in the territory outside of Israel. The miracle that fed with great abundance all the people of Israel now feeds with great abundance everybody. Jesus has learnt that everything and everyone is clean. Then he goes on and says something strange in the Gospels. He says, for saying that, you may go. For saying what she says, the retort to Jesus, even the children, sorry, even the dogs get to eat the children's crumbs under the table. For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Why doesn't Jesus say what he always says at the end of a healing or an exorcism? Your faith has made you well, go. This is the normal thing, this is what he always says. For saying that, the word saying is the word logos. The Greek word logos, which we know to be central to the way John, in the Gospel of John, talks about the coming of Jesus. It's no coincidence because Jesus is in a Greek-speaking part of the world. This is the part of the world that Alexander the Great conquered 400 years before. And he, uh, at his death, his generals, the Seleucid generals took over and they ran the empire. And when Rome came and, and conquered what was left of the Seleucids, they continued on with Greek culture and the Greek language. They saw that as the sort of, uh, as kind of aristocratic and the Greek ideas. So Greek was the lingua franca of this part of the world. Logos means word or conversation. It's, it means the understanding behind the spoken word. It is. It was the word that John chose to say something about Jesus. 
So here we have the same word being used for for saying that Jesus says for if you weren't if you like it you, for logosing for being open about the word of God in the world. This is really powerful. The meaning, the essence of life, the deep part of the spirit of God is being coming out of a woman, coming out of a Gentile. This woman is healed, not Jesus says because of her faith, but because of what she says coming out of her. It's almost as if Jesus has no choice but for healing to come. It's almost as if what the woman is exhibiting is the word of God the meaning of God, the experience of God, and so healing comes, it's, it's as if Jesus doesn't even have any choice. It's like two magnets kind of coming together. There's something really deep going on here. She is the voice and energy of God in that moment. Like Mary is at Jesus' birth. Like Moses is, even though he doesn't understand what's going on. Like Paul is, even though he's a persecutor. It's on and on and on. You have no idea where your next lesson about God and about your way in the being in the world is going to come from. It might come out of reading the Bible. It might come out of being in church. It might come out of prayer. But it might come from somewhere else. This is as offensive in Jesus' world as if we imagine the Taliban today could teach us something about the goodness of God. It's insane. As if a prostitute would come here and preach to us. As if a drug dealer would sit down with us and tell us about what God is about and what God is doing. As if an anti-vaxxer was to come here and tell us the same. Like, we we already know where truth comes from and where it doesn't. This story upsets all of that. Sir, she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And I reckon that's when it made sense to Jesus. Crumbs, he knows all about crumbs. There were 12 baskets full of it at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. He experienced, and maybe he didn't know until he experienced it, the goodness of God, the abundance of God is so big and that there's so much left over. There's 12 baskets. 12 is the same number of the tribes of Israel. You know, any Jew would know that immediately. This is about the abundance of everything. The abundance of God, the overflowing of God. When he heard the word crumbs, maybe that's when it all fell into place. Oh my goodness. God is not about this and that and this. It's about something so beyond my thinking that I'm just blown away by it. Remember the poem. Each word a wafer. I take from the hand and eat. Her head, the woman's head, is tipped backwards into the chalice, the white chalice of the sink. The world is filled with the work of God. It's enchanted with the experience of God. All we have to do is be open. So be it.